0: For a scripture reading, we'll be looking at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 18. That was Philippians 2. We'll look at 1 through 18. Before I begin to read, I want to ex- express this, that when it was time for Becky and I to be married, we took time and we learned about marriage, and we learned something important we learned there was a word called divorce, and it's a foreign word. It's not in the Christian vocabulary. It's one that is not even a Christian concept. And what happens is with that, it meant that we had decided that we were going to go forward no matter what. And then this scripture from Philippians came, and in verse 4, just not giving, trying to get things too far out of order. It said, but also to the interests of others. And what happens is it was with Becky that I had recognized that I had to go beyond myself, not be so self centered, and be worried about just me. And what happens is that too is now transitioning here. This example of Christ's humility is what we're going to look at and hopefully. You will find the peace that I have found in following these scriptures. Once again, Philippians 2 and verses 1 to 18. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me.
1: And if you will open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Our text will go from verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. Scientists have spent decades researching the communication of dolphins. Some say that if we ever hope to be able to talk with animals, that dolphins are our best bet. They are very intelligent, they are social, and they have a sophisticated form of communication that they use with each other. One scientist back in the 1960s even spent a few months in a specially constructed floodhouse living with a dolphin and trying to teach it the English language. And being in the 60s, somehow he also thought that giving it LSD would help with his experiment. But part of the the difficulty in understanding dolphin speak is, is that the human ear cannot hear all of the sound range that the dolphins use. They communicate in in whistles and clicks and squawks, and and some of those are outside of the range of of what we can hear without special sensors. But for all the research that has been done, we still don't have a good understanding of their language, and there has been no meaningful communication back and forth between the species. Now, we can train them to respond to to our language, to respond to certain signs or, or visual cues, but they have never talked to us in meaningful ways. Now, sometimes relationships between humans have some similarities to dolphins. We hear people making noises, but there's no meaningful communication that is happening. But we as humans have a gift that distinguishes us from all the other animals in the kingdom. We communicate not just with whistles and squawks, but with actual words and language. We can create and communicate complex ideas to others, and they can understand it. But despite this amazing ability to communicate, or perhaps because of it, we still have relational conflict with each other. There's misunderstandings and painful experiences and broken trust. When this happens, we slowly withdraw from the relationship until there is so much distance that further communication is even more difficult. So I would like to look at what is the Christian response to difficult relationships. How do we respond when a relationship goes bad? How do we live with misunderstandings and mistrust? Now, this passage doesn't address these questions directly, but it demonstrates Paul's response to a difficult situation, and it has some lessons that we can learn from it. So I'm going to spend just a little time looking at the background. We know that Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he's writing to a group of people who, at least for some of them, they have lost their confidence in him as a leader. They're doubting his authority as an apostle. They're questioning his credentials, and they're questioning his integrity. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of Christian history, the divinely inspired author of half the books of the New Testament. But even for someone like that, he couldn't keep a good relationship with one of his churches. And and so they were like, you know, we're not sure if he's actually the real deal. There's other people around who seem like they could do a better job. Maybe they're more popular, or they say things that make us feel good. So we see in chapter 11, Paul says that he's afraid that the the church will accept a different gospel or a different Jesus than the one that he proclaimed. So this was a real threat that that was being presented by these false teachers. And so how should Paul respond in in the face of this antagonism? And and he calls them super apostles in, in chapter 11. So they were not only teaching a different doctrine, but they thought that they were better in some ways than he was. And so he was he was under threat from them and they're also apparently questioning his integrity as we see here in chapter 1 so they they really don't have a whole lot of confidence in the apostle paul and and so we're looking at this situation with with the benefit of hindsight and kind of seeing the whole picture but imagine for him being in the middle of this this is a complicated and painful and difficult relationship The church didn't trust Paul, and Paul felt like he was misunderstood. So when was the last time that you felt misunderstood? And for some of you, it was probably the last time you opened your mouth. It's so easy to feel misunderstood, and we tend to feel misunderstood much more than we acknowledge that we actually misunderstood someone else. It might seem like a small thing to one person, but it's a major thing to someone else. You say one thing, and they take it to mean something completely different. For example, time can be a tricky thing to interpret. What does it mean when someone says an event is at a certain time? Say lunch at 12 o'clock. Does it mean you leave your house at 12 o'clock to get there in the next 10 or 15 minutes? Or does it mean they're going to say the prayer for the food at 11.55? When I got married, I learned there was a difference. Now, it seems like a trivial thing to have a misunderstanding over, but it can have almost spiritual implications, at least for some people. But but there's other far weightier and more significant areas of life where we can have misunderstandings. And whenever we spend our time in relationship with other people, we have potential for these misunderstandings. And eventually, if these misunderstandings persist and and grow or are repeated often enough, it leads to mistrust, and the relationship becomes very difficult to maintain. In fact, when when there is mistrust in the relationship, it's difficult to have a relationship at all, and it takes significant effort and intention on both sides to get the relationship working again. But this is where Paul finds himself— He is not only misunderstood and misrepresented, but they don't trust him anymore. They are questioning his integrity. These dynamics are not sustainable in a relationship. A relationship cannot grow when it is marked by mistrust and misunderstanding. Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, and and some of you study that in your classes this morning. But he he said to his disciples after washing their feet, including the feet of Judas Iscariot, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so Jesus proceeded to demonstrate that kind of love. He proceeded to demonstrate the kind of love we are to have for each other by allowing Himself to be delivered into the hands of sinful men who falsely accused Him in order to justify their predetermined sentence of death on a cross. And He did that because He loved us, and He wanted to make a way for us to be restored into a right relationship with the Father. And then Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we are to have the mind of Christ. We are to have this mind, counting others more significant than yourselves, looking to the interests of others, taking on humility, doing things without grumbling or disputing. So if the gospel that we proclaim does not equip us to become this kind of people, or to become more like this than we were last week or last year, if our gospel is not producing people who demonstrate self-sacrificing, other-serving, Christ-honoring love, then it is not good news at all. So how does Paul address the mistrust of the Corinthian church toward him? How does he respond, and how might his response inform our responses that we might have in difficult relationships? This is a a long passage, and it can be difficult to understand and has a few digressions on the way, but the, the entirety of it is really a defense or a response that Paul is making in view of the accusations that were being made against him. And there are three themes here that I would like to look at. The three themes are character, communication, and Christ. So let's read this passage, and you can be looking for these three: character, communication, and Christ. Second Corinthians one, verse twelve. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. "...not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace." I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has put His seal on us, and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So, Paul had opened this letter here by praising God as the Father of mercies and the Comforter in all our affliction, and he reminded them of the affliction that he had suffered in Asia. But then he gets more direct and he addresses them personally. And There's no place in the New Testament where we have a direct account of the tension that was occurring between Paul and the Corinthian church, and so we don't know exactly what was going on. But the, it, we do um, have information that we can kind of gather from different verses and, and pieces throughout the, the New Testament and his other letters that gives us a, an idea, at least, of what was going on, and the details aren't necessarily the point. But we know from 1 Corinthians that there were significant sin issues in the church that were being ignored, particularly the one about sexual immorality, and Paul addressed that in his letter. But then he wrote in 1 Corinthians 16 that he planned to go to Macedonia, and he wanted to visit Corinth after passing through Macedonia. But in the meantime, he's going to send Timothy ahead of him, and that's um, chapter 16, verse 10. So some commentators suggest that when Timothy got to Corinth, there were significant problems being caused by Paul's opponents, and so Paul decided to go visit Corinth immediately. And that might be the painful visit that he references here in chapter 2 verse 1. And and so he says in verses 15 to 16 of chapter 1 that he actually hoped to visit them twice, first on his way to Macedonia then again on his way back from Macedonia. And he wanted this trip to be a blessing to them. He wanted them to have a second experience of grace. And this would be a way of proving his character and his message in the face of his opposition. But instead of reconciliation, he experienced a painful visit. There were some who caused him pain, he says in chapter 2 verse 5. His opponents had letters of recommendation that he references in chapter 3 verse 1, that emphasized their status and power over the others. They thought they were super apostles, chapter 11, verse 5. But Paul says they were false apostles and deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So his visit was a disappointment. Instead of increasing understanding and trust, it caused pain. So he decided rather than return to them the second time as he had planned, he would skip that visit and wrote a letter to them instead, which is chapter 2, verse 4. And he says it was a difficult letter to write. It was one that he wrote out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. And then he apparently references this letter again in chapter 7 when he says, He regrets that he grieved them with his letter, but he rejoices that their grief led to their repentance, as it was reported by Titus. So that's the, the background that we have to this passage. A lot of stuff going on. There's been a lot of relational drama. There, there's been some repentance and, and forgiveness, apparently, on the part of some, as he talks about in chapter 7, but there are also those who are still at odds with Paul. They're making his life difficult. So as he responds to these accusations, I would like to look at these three themes that we see in this passage. And the first one that Paul appeals to in his defense is his character. The first key to overcoming mistrust is having a character that is consistent, a character that is consistent with grace. He says in verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. So Paul was facing False accusations His work was being threatened by those who presented a false gospel, and the people for whom he had sacrificed and suffered were ready to turn away from the gospel of Christ for something else more attracted. He wanted to visit them to bring them grace, but instead he suffered a painful visit. But he says his character is his witness. His behavior is his testimony. We behaved with simplicity and sincerity. We see this word simplicity again in chapter 11, verse 3, when he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in other words, Paul was not trying to play tricks on the church. He wasn't trying to pull the wool over their eyes to take advantage of them. He was not playing apostle in order to experience personal gain. And he says, especially so towards you. He went above and beyond with this church to act according to grace. Your earthly wisdom might have said to protect your interests, avoid taking risk, don't give more than you will receive. But God's grace is abundant. It serves without demanding return. It loves its enemies. It turns the other cheek. It overlooks minor offenses instead of nursing a grudge. In Paul's character, was consistent. There, there's two aspects of his character that we see here. First, he behaved according to grace. He lived with sincerity and simplicity. And second, he worked with others for their joy. And we see this towards the end in verse 23 through chapter 24. Not only did he make sure his behavior was graceful, he looked for ways to increase the joy of others, even if it meant changing his plans even if changing his plans subjected him to false accusations of vacillating or being weak. He wanted what was best for others, and he worked and suffered and sacrificed to that end. Now, that doesn't mean that everything was easy. It doesn't mean that he tried to make their life a bed of roses. In this case, it means that he was willing to make them suffer. He was willing to cause them grief with his letter in order that they come to a place of repentance so that they could experience more joy. And that They both had to endure a time of suffering and, and misunderstanding each other, but the end result that Paul was reaching for was for their joy. His love for them was not willing to let them stay in a place that would end up hurting them. You know, it's kind of like a surgeon getting ready to do a cancer operation. When I worked in surgery, we would see people who had cancer with no symptoms. It was diagnosed by a routine screening procedure, but it was definitely cancer. And the only definitive treatment, depending on the type and stage of the tumor, was to take it out surgically. So people would generally have one of two responses. Most said, sure, let's get this done. When can we do it? But others refused to have any treatment at all. They were feeling fine, and they didn't need anyone cutting on them. So the next week you do surgery on the one who agreed to have the operation. You put them to sleep, you slice them open, you take out the tumor, you put everything back in place, and you sew them up and send them to the recovery room. You go see them a few hours later, and they're not feeling good. They're having a lot of pain. The next couple of days are really rough. But they eventually get back on their feet. You see them in follow-up, and over the next several weeks, they, they pretty much get back to normal. The pathology report comes back and says the margins are clear. There's no lymph nodes involved, which means we got it all out. And scans show no signs of spreading to other organs. And so you have follow-up one, two, three, five years later, and everything is good. the patient is happy. He's cured. Meanwhile, the one who refused surgery is feeling pretty good the week after the visit. He's going fishing, maybe going on vacation, spending time with his friends. He feels a whole lot better than the one who just had surgery, and he's so glad that he's free of the surgeon's scalpel. But you know where this is going. Six months later, he notices some vague symptoms of abdominal discomfort, but now it is too late to do surgery. There is no cure, and the next year he is dead. Sometimes the things that hurt in the short term keep you alive in the long term. And sometimes people need to experience short-term pain in order to stay spiritually alive in the long term. Paul worked with others for their joy. He sacrificed because he loved them. He entered into the suffering with them so that they could experience the joy of the fruit of repentance. And he longed to see their relationship restored so they could experience mutual joy with each other. So what is your response in a difficult relationship? What does your character say about you when things are going poorly? Whether it is your marriage, your job, or the church, a challenging relationship is not an excuse for you to behave badly. Just because your boss mistreats you does not mean you can swipe his supplies. If you don't feel respected by your wife, it does not justify a fantasy affair with another woman. By the same token, if you feel you have been misunderstood or mistreated by someone in the church, it does not justify your lack of love to them. Persisting in bitterness or refusing to forgive is a cancer that will eat away your soul and you will die spiritually if you do not resolve it. You cannot hate your brother and be a disciple of Christ." So the Christian response to difficult relationships is to continue offering love, to seek, to understand, to continue moving toward the other. Paul demonstrated this Christian character, and he appealed to his Christian character in calling the Corinthians to open their hearts to him again. He demonstrated a character that was consistent with grace. The second thing that we see in this section was a communication that was clear. He demonstrated a character that was consistent, and he used communication that was clear. And he says this in verse 13 For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So he he appeals to his communication. He says he is writing nothing other than what they can read and understand. Now, in our age of electronic communications, we use a lot more written communication than we may have in the past. And we understand well the difficulties of written communication. And we don't have any evidence that Paul used emojis in his writing to help convey his mood. But we've all experienced the difficulty of interpreting a written note that we receive, particularly electronically. If you have complete confidence in the person that's sending you the note, you, you tend to take what they say at face value. But when that relationship has any mistrust or any sense of of motives being questioned, or you doubt their integrity, then every sentence takes on all the drama of a mystery novel. What do they really mean when they say, dear Bob? Is this some sort of flattery? And why do they say, have a good day? What do they mean by good day? Is good day really a code for terrible, no good, very bad day? Paul says our writing has no hidden meaning. There's no passive-aggressive manipulation, no double meanings, no guessing. In other words, he really wants them to understand what he is trying to say. I'm writing as plainly as I can so you can understand as fully as possible. There's two things we can see in his communication that are keys to overcoming mistrust. First is to communicate clearly. No hidden agendas, no double meanings. He wrote for the purpose of reading and understanding. And secondly, he directly addressed the people involved. He wrote to them. He cared about the relationship. He wanted it to be restored, so he communicated to them directly. He wrote directly to the people who were causing his grief. He didn't just write to the rest of the apostles, moaning about the difficulties that this church was causing him. He didn't just give up on them ever changing and talk to the rest of his friends, to the ones that actually supported him about how he was hurt by this church. Avoiding conflict is not being strong, it is being cowardly. So Paul addressed them directly. He did not gossip, he avoided slander. When we are following Christ, we will be very careful about the ways that we speak to others. And the Bible gives us. Direction in this multiple places. Ephesians four says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the opposite of slander and bitterness is kindness and forgiveness. First Peter two one So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, speaking evil about another person, or discussing negative things about others, running other people down, complaining about those with whom we don't agree, or being unloving towards others, all of these behaviors show that you have some growing up to do. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you longed for the pure spiritual milk that will grow you up into salvation? Or are you satisfied with the moldy crumbs of talking about other people's problems? Jesus said in Matthew 12, "'The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will account for every careless word they speak.' For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So our communication matters. God judges the heart, but he judges the heart by the words that come out of your mouth. What do your words reveal about your heart? So Paul addressed his relational difficulties with the Corinthian church directly. He communicated clearly. All of us have experienced some degree of misunderstanding or mistreatment or hurt in our relationship at some point in our lives. And the way we talk about that hurt reveals our heart. And we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. You do not need to tell anyone else about it except the person involved. This is the biblical prescription for relational health, and we see this in Matthew 18. Paul demonstrates it for us here. Ephesians 4 also informs us how it is that we should approach others. Just because you communicate directly and clearly does not mean it's going to be a building. And so Ephesians 4 tells us we are to speak the truth in love for the building up of the body of Christ. And we see Paul demonstrating his heart of love here. It doesn't mean he was going to avoid saying hard things to them, but he was only going to communicate in ways that were edifying and not in ways that are destructive or self-serving. So is there someone in your life, in your family, in this church, where you feel relational distance or relational tension? Maybe it is a previous hurt. Maybe it is an assumption about how they feel about you. Have you spoken to them personally? Are you willing to talk to them directly? It will not do any good to talk about them to others. It is destructive to talk about them to others. You're digging a hole under your own feet every time you make negative comments about the situation to someone who is not in a position to help, and you are creating your own grave with your words and attitudes, and you will find yourself sinking into it and becoming more isolated the deeper you go. But the good news of the gospel, the call of Christ, the law of love, demands that we move towards difficult relationships, that we lean into repairing broken trust, that we let go of past pain and serve the other. Creating distance or running away from the problem denies the power of the gospel. Spreading rumors instead of speaking directly or turning away instead of loving and serving are ways of controlling and managing the situation ourselves. You know, It keeps us safe, but it demonstrates that our faith is no bigger than ourselves." It shows a faith in ourselves, and it is evidence of spiritual immaturity. So, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your brother? Are you willing to communicate clearly and lovingly? So, Paul demonstrates a character that is consistent and communication that is clear. And the third key to overcoming mistrust that we see is a Christ who is constant. Paul pulls a trump card on this one, and it is really the consolation that we have in all of our difficult relationships. He says he has behaved towards them with grace. He has sacrificed for their joy. He has communicated as clearly as possible. But at the end of the day, it's really not about him. You see, they were partly right when they accused him of changing his mind. He had said he was going to come twice, but he only came once. And so they have him on on this one. And if they are intent on doubting his intentions, there is no way he can explain himself out of that. So Paul points to Christ. He says, in Christ, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Paul never spoke out of both sides of his mouth at at once. The gospel message that he proclaimed has always been constant. But while it is important to explain and clarify ourselves at times, we don't have to have last word. Sometimes people will just not understand. We don't need to be right. We don't always need to win the debate. The message we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our ability to win arguments, but by the work of Christ on our behalf. So sometimes we will have misunderstandings. Sometimes there will be real differences between us that are difficult to reconcile But our ultimate hope is not in getting our lives completely figured out and free from difficulty. Our ultimate redemption is not deliverance from other people, but deliverance from ourselves. And the gospel is a call to relationship. If your relationships are marked by mistrust, self-protection, or posturing for control, you will be a miserable person. The good news is that the healthy and meaningful relationships that we were meant to experience with others and with God is possible because of Christ. And Jesus invites us to come to Him. He says in Luke 4, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ invites us to bring our burdens to Him. He is a safe place for the wounded person. He will bind up the brokenhearted, and He can set you free from the prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. I would also add that if you feel trapped in a relationship that is abusive or hurtful, reach out to someone for help. The church is not a place where you need to have it Altogether, and it is okay to come with your broken, dysfunctional relationships. The way that we love each other should give confidence to those who are hurting that the church is a safe place. So reach out to someone if you need help. But as well, if you know someone who is in a difficult relationship, don't avoid them, don't steer clear of them, let them know that you are thinking about them, find ways to serve them. Don't gossip about their problems, but sacrifice yourself in order to bear their burdens with them. Point them to Christ and invite them to experience His love as they lay their burdens on Him. Be a little Christ to them. Be a Christian. And let Paul's example of grace filled character, clear communication, and commitment to Christ direct and shape all our relationships. Let the world know and understand that we are Christians by our love. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, thank you for the grace that you make available to all of us. And in a world of of brokenness and hurt and pain, you have made a way for us to be restored, first of all to you, but also to each other. And I pray that we could be a community that loves and that serves others, and that becomes shaped into your image as we obey your call to love sacrificially. Pray that you would impress your words and your commandments on our hearts and that we could be faithful in following you. We pray through Christ. Amen.